Blog Talk Radio. of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria Kelly, and I am your host for the evening. My co-host is Annie, and we are on scan number 3132. Excited to introduce to you our special guest this evening, however, first, we have a single purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we're on scan number 3132, and if you would like to be part of the panel this evening, please call 646-595-2118, and my co-host will meet you on the back line just if you would like to ask a question or have anything to say. We'd love to have you join us to support our guests. I would also like to say that we have our NASCA Attack Radio Show Monday through Friday night, uh, the same um, time um, each night. And we also have a, a Zoom peer support group Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays um, from 1 o'clock to 2.30 Central. And um, we've got more information on our website. And all you have to do is go on the website and look at the Zoom meeting and um, just go ahead um, and push in the numbers, and there's no password needed. So um, without further ado, our guest tonight, this evening, is uh, Reverend Henry or Hank McGrath. Um, this is a question and answer um, call into discussion with a survivor professional who's in an open mic forum. We'll feature a survivor professional co-host who will feel top spot to the episode by you, the listener. And uh, um, Reverend Hank McGrath is from 
uh, Carrego Lake, New York, um, a child abuse survivor, author, and NASCA volunteer. Hank begins life in a poor Irish family with four siblings in New York. Both parents are alcoholics. At 11, he was hustling to survive in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with bookies, pimps, and prostitutes. It was dangerous for a child alone. Eventually, he served time in a juvenile detention system and as a young adult in prison for crimes he'd committed. After decades of hard living with a few near-death situations, he began facing his childhood trauma and by the 90s was happily married. When his beloved wife died of cancer in 2001, Hank promised her to fight for others on the issues of child abuse. Since then, he has worked with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children as court advocate for youth and more. Today, Hank is a minister and very active in his community. On these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts, survivor professionals who will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call-in participants. This trauma-informed perspective as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy sexuality that springs from questions and topics brought to by our listeners. And everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. And please visit the NASCA website, and that's N-A-A-S-C-A dot org for a whole bunch more information um, dealing with uh, prevention, intervention, and recovery. And we also have a Facebook um, closed group for survivors, and also we have another group that um, is for uh, NASCA as well. So I would like to uh, invite um, Dr. Uh, Henry McGrath, and I know you've been with us before, and so let's just turn the mic over to you. Thank you. It's your show. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, As we do uh, every time I come on, it's somewhat educational and definitely a trigger. So uh, ironically... um, what I'm going to introduce tonight is, uh, as far as they could, updated stats on uh, child abuse and child uh, maltreatment from the World Health Organization. We're going to, I'm going to talk about that. And also, comparably, uh, with uh, uh, RAIN's stats, uh, R-A-I-N-N. So, um, but uh, we're also going to, I'm going to read an article as soon as we have an opportunity, and everyone calling in can talk about this. Uh, and that's uh, from healthline.com slash health slash triggered. We're going to talk about triggers and what you do when you feel triggered. You know what I mean? So uh, 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 without further ado, young ladies, uh, I'm going to start with the uh, World Health Organization stats up to September 19th, 2022. Um, Key facts on child maltreatment. Now, as we go over them, uh, if you ladies would like to make a comment, just go ahead, okay? So... um, Sounds great. Nearly three... Everybody absorbed this, all right? Uh, Just because we're talking about something sensitive as abuse and we feel triggered... My God, you absorb that and you look at it as a professional. Anybody, in my view, who suffered abuse 
is now a professional, enlightened as to what abuse is. And that encourages us to do some work, whether it be volunteer or professional, in helping others rather than wallowing in our own suffering. All right? So back to key facts. Nearly three in four children or 300 million children aged two to four regularly suffer physical punishment and or psychological violence at the hands of parents and caregivers. Now, that's major. Three in four children. Okay? One in five women. Staggering. And one in 13. I'll do it again. One in five women and one in 13 men report having been sexually abused as a child aged zero to 17 years. And and I'll put in parentheses here something that NASCA knows that most men never admit to such a thing. So those stats are probably a little bit more for men. It says one in 13 men, and it might be like Oh, I think it's a lot five. higher than that. I have spoken to so many yeah. men, and also yeah. a lot of women too, that I've spoken with have never reported, and that's the sad thing about statistics, is that these are not reported a lot of times. And so, and if they are reported, a lot of times don't make it into the reported because they're not, quote, substantiated, you know. So our statistics are, you know, the statistics we read online, wherever, are are so totally off. So we just want people to know that it's a a pandemic problem. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, the statistics giving is a pandemic, all right? This is from the World Health Organization, all right? And they're using statistics put all together from the entire world, all right? So um, uh, nothing will ever be right statistically. But what I just expressed is a pandemic, all right? Next, 120 million girls. Next. 120 million girls and young women under 20 years of age have suffered some form of forced sexual contact. 120 million girls and young women under 20 years of age throughout the whole entire world have suffered some form of forced sexual contact. Consequences of child maltreatment include impaired lifelong physical and mental health with the triggers, and the social and occupational outcomes can ultimately slow a country's economic and social development. And, of course, I covered before how uh, – Imprisonment now is being included. Those that are in prison, they're now finding out uh, both male and female, uh, a large number of them have been abused uh, when they were young, uh, practically all of them physically, uh, but sexually abused as well now. Child maltreatment is often hidden. Only a fraction of child victims of maltreatment ever get support from health professionals. Both you women agree to that. Correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
a child. Even this, even people think that these days it's different, but it's still not. It, yes, it's still no, that. It's not, it's not, it's not child abuse. Yes, a child who is abused is more likely to abuse others as an adult, so that violence is passed down from one generation to the next. It is therefore critical to break this cycle of violence and in so doing create positive multi-generational impacts. Now that's an important statement, but they should have went further. See, a lot of the violence is emotional and psychological violence, and a lot of the violence is actually committed by women too. Very abusive, those yeah. that suffer yeah. abuse. All right? Yeah. But that's not, that's, they're doing very little groundwork on that. They're too slow on that. All right? It, right. It, it's more advantageous for the system to make believe that it's all about just physical violence and the one committing the physical violence always is the, uh, the male, you know? Yeah, yeah. Prevent. I know a current situation where the where the man is um, um, being abused and uh, um, went and got an order for protection and is afraid the woman's going to go get an order for protection because she had already called and, and uh, reported that he was the one that was violent when it was just a reaction to protect himself. And uh, it's just gotten very confusing um, when I said, you know, you can call the battered woman shelter and you can call the domestic violence awareness, you know, domestic violence uh, crisis number um, because, because of those facts um, that, that if a woman and man are both, you know, claiming the abuse, they're more likely to believe the woman. And uh, um, so that's what he's up against right now. Sure. Effective prevention approaches include supporting parents and teaching positive parenting skills and enhancing laws to prohibit violent punishment. Now, those things are very important. They weren't included previously, and they're included now as of uh, 2022. The fact that um, uh, teaching positive parenting skills is what's been included and enhancing laws to prohibit violent punishment. I don't think any physical punishment should be used at all. And again, right. violent has to be defined as not solely physical. Mm. You can do psychological damage so horrendous uh, to the victim that it, it fucks mm-hmm. up their entire life. You know, right? Worst thing right. And those arm. people, those people that are um, um, victims of uh, child abuse, I always seem to add neglect to in there because a lot of people do not identify that or the emotional. And we just want to know, let all our listeners know too, that um, please join NASCA at these things because we do recognize them. And it is just breaks my heart that it's 2022 to have, um, to have these things come out that, that, you know, not only we recognize that, um, yes, this is um, something passed down, but that we can change it. I think that's really important. Well, yeah. And, again, this is the World Health Organization, the top health organization that also helped flim-flam everybody on the vaccine scheme. Anyways, ongoing care of children and families can reduce the risk of maltreatment reoccurring 
Now, see, maltreatment is everything you said just now, Victoria, and everything I said. They just use one word for it, maltreatment. Um, ongoing care of children and families can reduce the risk of maltreatment reoccurring and can minimize its consequences. Well, we have two problems there. One is that in America, we have a system that benefits more from separating and dividing families and parents and children from, from each other, all right? They, they benefit from it, it financially, uh, every kind of way you can think of. And you've got to stop that aspect of the system from doing that because uh, a lot of that is causing uh, further punishment for the child. The child's in the hands of the abuser, the, all this crazy stuff, all right, uh, in order to minimize uh, consequences and the reoccurring of maltreatment. So that that's uh, these uh, stat description up to date from the uh, World Health Organization. Now next is rain. Now everybody's familiar with rain, right? I don't think everybody is, and um, I think we need to clarify who the when we talk about organizations or. And different descriptions or identifiers. We have a lot of new people that are just starting their recovery. So I think giving just, out just information is our, very important. Just look up. Hold it. Yeah, I don't represent Rain, so I'm not gonna. Just look up r a i n n dot org. Okay, everybody. All right. Anyways, they're a leading organization on sexual abuse. All right, child sexual abuse. And they've existed many, many, many years. Uh, uh, we all work hand in hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, we ask yeah. it and everyone else. I, I just so, want to anyway. quick, quick say that RAIN is uh, Rape Abuse Incest National Network is what those initials yes. stand for. Yes. Um, child sexual abuse is a widespread problem. Well, we know that. And according to their stats, every nine minutes, Child Protective Services substantiates or finds evidence for a claim of child sexual abuse. And we're not talking about the false calls. Every nine minutes, Child Protective Services substantiates they have evidence that the claim for child sexual abuse is true. Of all victims under 18, two out of three are between the ages of 12 and 17. That's 66%. 34% are under the age of 12. One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. 82% of all victims under 18 are female. Females ages 16 and 19, and, and uh, let me stop for a second. 82% of all victims under 18 are female. Now, I want you to take note of that because 15 minutes ago, we were mentioning how uh, the system hasn't advanced really to completely identify uh, how uh, female child abuse victims may repeat victimization of others or abuse others. Uh, it doesn't have to be exactly what happened to them. It's just they're so miserable inside that they make life miserable for other people. 
um, that's just starting to be identified, all right? So if there's 82% of all victims under 18 are female, holy cow, got a lot of problems ahead. Children got a lot of problems ahead if we don't fix this system. Females ages 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. So they're in danger in those three years right there, 16 through 19. They're four times more likely. Isn't that a trip? Yeah. And and we'll see why in the second one. Every every nine minutes um, um, they get um, – what was what was the quote again? Every nine minutes, um, uh, child protection gets a substantiated report. Yes. yes. Okay. So in our in our ninety minute show, that's ten children. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the effects of child abuse can be long lasting and affect the victim's mental health. Victims are more likely than non-victims to experience the following mental health challenges. About four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse. About four times more likely to experience PTSD as adults. And about three times more likely to experience a major depressive episode as adults. Now, I will tell you, right, that it's quickly... In, in a lot of cases identified during um, uh, when they're trying to get off of drugs and alcohol uh, because of the counseling and the peer support, it comes out. But those that suffer PTSD as an adult and uh, those who suffer major depressive episodes as adults, it may not be likely that they were abused as a child. You know, it may not come out. You see what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Again, that, that field needs to be, this system was born based on the woman being the victim. It's very hard to change that. Once the system looks at male and female as equal, well, then the stats and the actual proofs will show, you know, how many of this and how many of that are, are the victims or the abusers. You know what I mean? Right. But when you have an and, and then we talk about the women, and a lot of times women, most of the time, women are the major caregivers of the children, and and so a lot of times they are just with the children, and there is no witness to what's going on. And I've heard exactly. a lot, and That's I know I've lot. experienced. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Now here, here you girls are gonna hate this, but know that it's true. Ready? I'm gonna. Do the graph. Now, anybody who goes to where I said to go to, rain, R-A-I-N-N dot org, slash statistics, slash children, dash and dash teens, and you'll see these graphs. These are all updated. All right. Perpetrators of child sexual abuse are often related to the victim. Now, watch this. Child victims often know the perpetrator. Okay. 7% 7% are strangers. 7%. You prepare the child to beware of strangers. Yeah. 
are acquaintances. 34% are family members. But you prepare the child for strangers, remember? Stranger danger. Oh, yeah. There was a creepy guy behind the bushes, and it was stranger yeah. danger. But it's your boyfriend that was right there in the house. And there, were no, there were no You're, creepy people. They were in my house. And the strangers yeah. were the police, the teachers, yes. the, anybody exactly. that could help you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that you weren't supposed to touch. Yeah. Because they could hurt you. And then it was not, all that they yes. hurt me worse than what's going on in my home. Yeah. Yes. The stats show 93% are known to the victim. 93%. That's, that's, that's badass. 93%. And, you know, a lot of that can be found if they do start teaching children about parenting at a younger age. If they do start teaching about rights at a younger age. Some of these children will grow up to be young young adults or adults who respect their children or, or who can recognize better the potentiality of a family member or a, you know, a relative or an acquaintance, you know, of being a, an abuser. It's, it's very tricky shit. This is how priests got away with it. This is how teachers, now finally teachers are getting busted, you know. Male teachers are getting busted, yep. but I mean, now finally, female teachers are getting busted too, you know? Mm. But, but I um, also noticed that the, the females that got busted or, you know, caught um, are not getting the, the kinds of punishments that the, the males are getting, and it's also not viewed in the same way. Um, yes, because they're victims. Like a they're female victims. teacher with a teenage boy, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a girl, you know. The, the the perpetrator, now, again, I got nothing against females. Come on, man. The, the perpetrators, right now, I'm talking about the system. That's what Victoria was just mentioning. It's the system's approach. It's so archaic and ridiculous that it's blinding. All right? Yeah. A woman can start saying anything, and they take a majority of it and believe it. The divorce cases. Right. The most common thing a lawyer suggests is, well, it doesn't matter if it's true, or real or true. Whoever tells the best story is true, uh, wins, wins the case. So just say he, you think he's molesting your daughter. Yeah. Are you sorry? And that's pretty mm-hmm. much the end of the case right there. I think that's mm-hmm. sexual abuse because you've got to put the mm-hmm. child through a medical checkup. Um, uh, a psychiatrist talking to the child, and does your father ever put you on his lap and hug and kiss you? He does. Yep. You know what I mean. Yep. Everybody is safe. Yep. Some people get there in meeting, and and so, um, some parents can coach the kids um, yes. before they, yes. you know, make the make the allegation. You know, yes. um, this is it, all, it, it, it's just, all real. Yeah. And then we get parent alienation, then we get into the, you know, talking bad about the other parent, and it gets gets just, you know, we're not looking at, and I see these divorce cases and stuff, too, and the separations, whatever, um, parents, and it's like they are not looking at what's in the best interest of the child, and it breaks my heart, because a lot of times the child is a pawn, and no child is necessary. Yes, yeah. for the system. Watch this. And Out of the sexual abuse. They're pulling back this. and forth. Yeah. Yes. 
out of the sexual abuse cases reported to CPS, this is in the United States, in 2013, as an example, right? 47,000 were men and 5,000 women were alleged perpetrators. And again, I think that if a woman does all that stuff in order to get her her custody of her children so she can get checks in the mail from the welfare and whatever else, and it has to do with false accusations, sexual, that's sexual abuse. Yeah. That's, it, that's it's horrible to go through um, an exam as, yeah. a, as I know as a woman um, being a victim of rape. I can't even imagine a small child that has yeah. never been touched in that way to have to go through that type of uh, gathering evidence that yes. really isn't. I know. I know. And then when it, I, turns I out, when it turns out not true, what do you think happens in the majority of the cases, Victoria? They just go, well, the woman's, that's the mother's just concerned for her daughter. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's no, you know, like no, no, maybe no. we ought to get that kid some kind of help for what they just went through either. There's nothing. There's nothing. That. Yes. Brought up about You're right. That. No. You're right. No. Now, the last piece I'll give on this is in 88%. Of the sexual abuse claims that CPS substantiates or finds supporting evidence of, in 88%, the perpetrator is male. In 9% of the cases, they are female. And 3% are unknown. Now, I don't know where they get that from. An alien must have did it, you know? So there you have it. Out of the 47,000, 88%. Um, our male, actually, uh, you put them both together, it's 51,000 or something like that, 52,000. 88% are male and 9% of the cases that are actually founded are female. So the female one's pretty hard, man. You know what I mean? I know a particular case where a false accusation was made against someone, a father, Right? Because she was afraid of, that she'd lose her child for welfare, like I said, right? And so she made that claim. And the, uh, so I get the story straight. The, uh, that morning or that afternoon, there was an appointment where the mother had to take the child to the state police uh, investigation squad or whatever, Right. And the child complained three days afterwards. It was unfounded, of course, when they talked to the child by them by herself or whatever. The child claimed that her mother makes up lies or whatever. And, of course, the mother wasn't charged. But several days later, the child described how her mother had her take a shower. And before she dried off, the mother started touching her down in the private parts, and she said it hurt. Yeah. Yeah, you understand what I was saying to you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mother she was trying to make it look out. like she was trying to yeah. make it look like something happened. What she kind of people? The child blamed it on the father. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What kind of people are this? And the system didn't arrest the woman. Yeah. Exactly. That. Yeah. She molested the child. 
That's and what I'm not, thinking. No what you do with it? Well, she did. Yeah. If she did that to a child, that is molestation, regardless yeah. of whether I mean, what her reasoning was. It's still, she did the act. Yes, and and uh, from what I understand, that the CPS investigated and uh, um, the child reiterated the story. The child was too young to actually make it up. The child wasn't with the other parent who could coax her right. to make make it up. This was on the child's mm-hmm. own. She stated yep. what happened, right? And, sure. Uh, sure, but the mother goes home. The mother the was abuser checking her. Coaches. Yeah. The, yeah, she was just checking her. That's all. And so that's the end. You see, so the system really needs to be fixed, you know, and they're not spending any time with children. They're actually destroying families and children, you know? So at this stage right now. But I thought the yep. stats were uh, very interesting. Didn't you, Victoria? Um, they're alarming. Very alarming. <laughs> very alarming. Very, very yes. alarming. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, hopefully something happens where some of the people, usually people that become therapists and lawyers and people like this, it's, it used to be people that, suffered abuse or people that suffered the loss of rights. Uh, Hopefully we get back to that. So we get those kind of people in positions that can better help children and better change the system. You see what I mean? Or or those that are listening to victims. Um, I, you know, I, uh, um, you know, have been a lot of uh, classes um, that are, you know, going to have, attorneys or are going to have social workers that are, you know, educating them, whatever, do have survivors come in. And I Good. actually talked to a group of social workers, um, and uh, it, w- it was required for them to come in and listen to us. And our um, organization was um, um, talking about systems of prostitution. And uh, um, me and this other guy shared about our life story, you know, and uh, we always handed out pieces of paper to everybody, and they were all just like, thank you so much for sharing that because it's going to help me in my work. They were already social workers. Share, you know, help me mm-hmm. in my work um, because yes. I see a different side of what's, you know, what's going on. And then, you know, so like you said before, you know, being, being a victim and then a survivor um, for us to, you know, be going out there and talking to people and we have to get past that shame first. And that was my big thing was getting past the shame. And I didn't start getting past that shame until I met Bill and, you know, um, was able to start talking about some of that. I was going to therapy too. So, you know, I, I also got that, you know, um, support as well. Um, but you know, and then I got, we got one response back that said, there's no way those two people could have gone through that much stuff and be sitting up there looking that put together if they had really went through this stuff. Basically, they're lying. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. I was so upset about that. I've spoken out on, on that, and I went to my therapist, and she's like, well, how many people were in the room? And I said, 60. How many responses did you get? 60. Um, and you, one person, you know, um, said that why are you focusing on that one person and not the 59 people that thank you for being there, you know, and that how much it helped them, 
and and it really made me realize that that a lot of time is what we focus on instead of you know the people that we are helping and educating or the people that we are helping as survivors um you know to other survivors you know um you can't help everybody and uh somebody i might be able to help i might not be able to help somebody but maybe you could help them you know being like um um you know a male i always say you know get in touch with nasca i said because there's men in nasca and i'm sure that you will relate to them better than to me you know not that i wouldn't talk about it but but i say there are so many people in nasca now people know that there's all different kinds of people and there's a ton of numbers on there if you don't connect with one person call the next call the next call the next you know because we're not all going to connect but we're all there to help yes very well said victoria um all right now if if no one minds has anybody called in yet Yes, as a matter of fact, we have several people who are listening only at this time, but I'll check in with them a little later and see if they want to talk. Okay. Um, Next, uh, let's cover, you go to healthline.com slash health slash triggered. Now, this is a topic I love because before triggered became triggered, which is in the last three years, Everybody is triggered over everything. You can't talk to nobody about nothing. And being a mick, I'll say anything if I know it's going to trigger you. You see, it's an advantage to, that's what gets the revolution going. That's what gets a woman to fall in love with me. That's what gets a child to finally start studying their homework. I trigger them. All right? Well, now it's like... Totally, everybody's so sensitive and psychoanalyzing everything and helicopter momming this, and it's out of control, all right? So somebody had said to me, is there any way you could break down exactly what triggering is, and is there a way to fix it? You see, because how can you help other people if everywhere you go, you're triggered about everything? Oh, my God, he's drinking coffee with cream in it, you know? It's, it's freak bill in America now. Really sucks. So what it really means to be triggered. Now, understand, any comment I make, right, I, is not a representative of NASCA, all right? All right. Just wanted to get that out. Um, so let's, let's – uh, this is a, a, a long and short article, but we're going to cover it all because it depends on uh, – how people are thinking and feeling, okay? Uh, Triggered. It's a very real experience. Now, we're not talking about the people that make shit up. Like you say, you feel a little sick today, and Victoria then looks at me and goes, oh, I feel totally sick and everything. Oh, my God, man. See, people can't even be sick now without other people wanting to be sicker, you know? Everything is a trigger. Yeah. But there are real triggers, and we're going to identify them. All right. In mental health terms, a trigger refers to something that affects your emotional state, often significantly, wow, by causing extreme overwhelm or distress. A trigger mm-hmm. affects your ability to re- remain present in the moment, 
See, for some of us who have bad memories, you fall back into that memory. It may bring up specific thought patterns or influence your behavior. Now, this is important to know because a lot of people, they cause arguments with their loved one and not realize they were triggered, and it could have came from diet or some other thing. You'll see as I, as I talk. Triggers vary widely and could be internal or external. Specific phrases, odors, or sounds can also be triggers for people who have experienced traumatic events, such as rape, military conflict, physical assault, emotional abuse, loss of a loved one. Reading or watching something about a similar traumatic event can also trigger distressing memories or flashbacks for people living with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And it's important as we go on that if you feel you have these symptoms as you're listening, write it down. You have to see a therapist. All right, and, and now therapists are available under Medicaid and Medicare and whatever. A lot of it you can get for free. There's a lot of therapy out there and a lot of programs that help people who are in PTSD. So anything that, that triggers something in you, an awareness, all right, um, do, do seek help. Substance abuse uh, disorders often involve triggers too. Many people find it helpful to learn their triggers so they can recognize them and choose to either avoid them, so you can choose to do this, or come up with a plan for dealing with them. And that's when you work with a therapist. Part of treating conditions like PTSD and substance abuse uh, disorders often involves working on ways to cope with triggers in helpful, productive ways. Um, it has nothing to do with being too sensitive. This is the title. In recent years, people have started including trigger warnings for content dealing with a range of topics, including, and this is what I just complained about, uh, homophobia or transphobia, rape and other forms of sexual violence, child abuse, violence, incest, animal abuse or death, racism, self-harm, suicide, pregnancy-related issues, eating disorders, sizeism, or fat shaming. This isn't an exhausted list, but descriptions of any of the above could contribute to upsetting memories when somebody called you a little fat ass or flashbacks if you had a traumatic experience related to any of these things. You may have also seen a trigger warning before content that refers to or shows political viewpoints, insects, oh my God, bodily waste such as vomit, feces, or urine, nudity. I know what nudity triggers in me. Medical issues, blood, religious topics. It's, it's really out of control now. Discomfort yeah. versus trauma. All right, now we're talking about triggers that cause trauma. Not discomfort, okay? If I'm around two guys that are racist as hell and they want to kill a black and blah, 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 and wipe this and wipe that, I'm, I, I don't, that doesn't trigger me into some trauma. I'm an Irishman. 
I moved down four more seats. I don't want to hear that shit. All right? That's called discomfort. There's no doubt these topics can be unpleasant, offensive, or defaceful. But it's important to understand the distinction between discomfort and trauma. For a lot of people, these topics won't cause flashbacks, disassociation, where you know you can't talk to somebody, you're not feeling good, you know, all this other stuff, or other distressing emotional experiences. The more casual use of trigger warnings usually comes from a good place, but it can sometimes have an unintentionally negative impact for people actually dealing with trauma. People can have a range of triggers, loss of a loved one, military combat, substance misuse. They can be hard to communicate to others. If you've experienced trauma and have triggers, the debate surrounding triggers and the use of trigger warnings can be uncomfortable. You see, sometimes putting up trigger before the article I post triggers mm-hmm. and discomfort in the person. You know what I mean? Well, a lot of times I will see a trigger warning and I'll go, well, I'm not in a very good place, so I probably shouldn't read that. And sometimes it's a story that a survivor needs to share about what happened, but they feel they have to yeah. put that on there. And, yeah, and well, I might not read that. And I might be able to help that person. It might be that they feel that it, it's um, going to, you know, traumatize somebody. And I, I try to look past that trigger warning these days and go, you know, this might trigger somebody that's maybe early on in, you know, uh, working on their issues. But this person is putting this on there because they are in need of support <laughs> because they feel this is so bad. You know, and we, and we need to be there for people. I only uh, post uh, important research and, and findings and stuff of that nature. You know what yeah. I mean? And so just yeah. seeing my name. Well, I did, I did, tr- uh, I did an interview up, with uh, YouTube. I did an interview with YouTube on uh, my story. And I do tell people that it is, you know, um, pretty extreme. And I talk direct to the point, you know, I, um, I don't say um, a child that was sexually abused. I say um, I was raped as a child, you know, and, and that sometimes can pull a person back. So I usually tell people that, you know, if it's too much, I will not be offended if you don't listen to the whole thing, you know. But I've had people that said, you know, I listened to it for a little while, and then another day I listened to a little while more, and it helped me so much, you know, to uh, – to listen to the story because I realize some things that I need to work on. And uh, I just want to put that out there. Yeah, that's normal. That's a normal feeling. That's, mm-hmm. this is normal. We don't have mm-hmm. as sick a society as, as is mm-hmm. being, you know, depicted. All right. It's just right. we're running away with it where everybody mm-hmm. is, is triggered and everybody's sick. It, it's, you know what I mean? Um, if someone often brings up triggering topics to you, these topics can help you broach the subject in a productive way. See, this is a way to non-trigger yourself. You ready? State your feelings as specifically as possible. When you said X, it made me feel anxious and afraid because of my history. 
state of boundary. It's hard for me to talk about X. If it comes up in conversation, I'll need to leave the room. As for a warning, I know it's hard to avoid the subject of X. Could you let me know beforehand if it's going to come up? So pretty much if you have to have that conversation with somebody you're in a relationship with, pack your bag and leave as soon as possible because they're too fucked up. As you navigate these conversations, remember that trauma is a complex but very real experience that affects people in a variety of ways. Uh, And in regards to the comic I I just made, I don't believe messed up people should get in relationships until they get a handle on their difficulties, their emotional problems, their triggers, and stuff of this nature. You know? It just destroys relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. Trauma doesn't always result in triggers. Not everyone who experiences something potentially traumatic develops residual trauma or triggers. I mean, I've been shot, I've been stabbed. I enjoy seeing that happen in a movie, you know, in a crime-solving movie or some other thing. You you know, I have that kind of lifestyle. It doesn't trigger. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I got to look behind me and, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Traumatic experiences can affect people. I know I watch, I watch that show. I watch that show, Law and Order SVU, and have a lot of people back at watch that show. Um, and, and I watch it because um, it's, it's different for me when I watch it than it is for other people. You know, I, that's just an example. Um, yes. I watch a it and, and say, hey, they're trying to help people. And, you know, um, it makes me feel good that there's a show on that try and help victims and other people are coming from a different point, you know? So I think we need to take care of ourselves and just because one person can do something doesn't mean that another person can. That was, yeah, but we're not here to hold up the world. You know what I mean? Uh, It's all about healing. When is the healing going to start? You know what I mean? Right. Um, Traumatic experiences can affect people in various ways. Two people may have similar traumatic experiences, like you were alluding to, but respond to them in a very different ways due to a range of factors such as age during the traumatic event, underlying mental health conditions, family history, access to support networks, cultural or religious beliefs. Those things can affect how deep the effect of a trigger, you know, is. And finally, the whole trigger warning debate. Generally, trigger warnings are given to help prevent people who have experienced trauma from experiencing the trauma again and experiencing mental health symptoms as a result. The concept of having such a warning stems uh, stems from research on PTSD, but not everyone agrees with this approach. Impact on people without traumatic experiences. While many experts believe that trigger warnings allow people who've experienced trauma to decide whether they're prepared to see or read something, others think they're potentially harmful to people who haven't experienced trauma. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of libs on that. A 2018 Mm -hmm. study of 207 people, that's all, 270 people, with no history of trauma, suggests trigger warnings made the participant feel more vulnerable. Oh, my God. 
Wow. Many reports. Yeah, I love those weddings when they have like 200, 200 some people. Yeah. 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 I know. And, uh, yeah. I'm only joking, but I'm, I'm making believe this must be all rich kids, you know, from the rich neighborhood in a college that are 19 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All of a sudden they felt vulnerable because yeah. they are vulnerable, you know? Many people exactly. feel more anxious when they receive the warning about potentially distressing content before reading the material. Let me tell you something. All right? A movie gets ready to start. There's smoking in it. There's nudity. I mean, we all see it, right? There's the little signs. It makes some of yeah. us want to watch it more, and I light up a cigarette, you know? It's like when I was a teenager, it was rated PG. Boy, we're going to try to get into that movie. You know, yes. <laughs> you know. So now, yeah. if I if I applied the trigger theory, I would be triggered into laying a cigarette because I saw them say it's they're smoking cigarettes on the movie. You know, like that's a major crime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some yeah. Uni- some <laughs> some university professors have noted that including trigger warnings may help prepare students living already living with PTSD and allow them to leave if they don't feel ready to face a potential trigger in the classroom. Boy, that would be my way out to go smoke a joint and meet that chick in the back of the homeroom. You know what I mean? I would just bullshit that one. I would just lie right there. Yeah. Learning how to cope with triggers is part of PTSD treatment, and that's where we're heading. That's why I'm joking, okay? But a classroom may not always feel like a safe space to do so. Other educators have voiced concern that these trigger warnings encourage students to avoid uncomfortable topics or viewpoints that are important to consider. I agree with that. Some have also suggested they may limit a student's ability to openly consider difficult concepts. I don't agree with that. Um, like I said uh, children should be taught about parenting it's not all about positive parents why do you want to be a positive parent well you got to cover some of the negative right yeah and and what uh, some of the harmful concepts yes the consequences the consequences Um, matter of fact um, you know I I made a decision um, that that I wasn't going to repeat the cycle you know and I actually yes. called child protection on myself <laughs> and said, Good. I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt my kids because this is the way I was raised. And I got intervention. I got um, parent support group. I got, um, you know, I was going to therapy at the time and I was talking about this happened to me and I don't want to do this to my kids, you know. And, uh, you know, one time my son was throwing things in the house. And I called the police, and the police officer came and said, give that kid a good spanking. That's what he needs. And <laughs> I said, I'm not going to spank my child. And he goes, and I don't know what you're going to do, and walked out, you know. And yeah. it just it, it, it blew me away because I wasn't going to hit my kid, you know. I was going to sit down when, you know, something happened yeah. and talk to him. I just decided that there wasn't going to be the help that I was hoping to get, which was, you know, a police officer coming in, talking calmly to my son and telling him, you know, this is not the correct way to behave or whatever. 
But I didn't get that. So, you know, that was enough of that. I decided I'm going to go with my gut. And my gut says, wait till the situation calms down. Sit down and find out why he was so upset that, that he did that. You know, a lot of circumstances and situations happen like that with my kids. And the one thing I did, too, that was never done with me was say I was sorry. You know, if I did get upset afterwards, I say I'm sorry. You know, um, yeah. let's. You know, let's let's talk this out. Let's you know um, figure out what the conflict was. Whatever. Uh, there's a lot of work to do if you want to break the cycle. It doesn't just happen. People, you know, I wish I'm going to be a better mom, and then they realize they're not, and start beating up on themselves instead of saying, "Okay, I made some mistakes. What can I do differently?" Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't get help until their children are raised and and have a lot of regret. And, you know, but things can be repaired and we got to realize that we can make changes, but, but that's not easy. Like I say, stopping drugs and alcohol were the easy part, living life on life's terms and living with those memories. That was the difficult part, but I knew I had to do it or I wouldn't be a healthy person. And that's what I wanted. Cool. Now, um, what is a trigger? It triggers anxiety. We're going to talk about managing anxiety now, all right? And this is the second half of the article. Anxiety, and, and I want folks to know that these triggers, wait, this isn't just about somebody who got beaten when they were little or raped when they were little or bad things happened to them when they were little, all right? And, and anxiety can be caused by an underdeveloped brain. Anxiety can be caused by diabetes. Anxiety can be caused by not eating correctly and you start shaking, etc. All right? Or your nervous wreck. Um, there's many things that can cause anxiety. It doesn't mean that you're messed up. We have to find ways to manage our anxiety so we can deal with reality have some substance and fortitude in our character, right, and be of value to other people. Uh, the way to do that is manage our anxiety. So anxiety is a mental health condition that can cause feelings of worry, fear, or tension. For some people, anxiety can also cause panic attacks and physical symptoms like chest pains, Anxiety disorders are incredibly common. They affect an estimated 40 million people in the United States, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Of course, they would have big stats, wouldn't they? What causes anxiety and anxiety disorders can be complicated. It's likely that a combination of factors, including genetics, and environmental reasons play a role. See, let's put the abusive child and other things aside. It could and just be a child that was just born, all right? So we're talking about your genes, what's in your genes, and environmental. However, it's clear that some events, emotions, or experiences may cause symptoms of anxiety to begin or may make them worse. These elements are what are called triggers. Now, anxiety triggers can be different for each person, but many triggers 
are common among people with these conditions. Most people find that they have multiple triggers. Oh, no. But for some people, anxiety attacks can be triggered for no reason at all. Dig that. For that reason, it's important to discover any anxiety triggers that you may have. I'd say it's more than important. It's your responsibility that if you're going through this health problem, that you get it together mm-hmm. before it affects your life any further and the lives of others, right? Well, yeah. Just like, you know, if you have diabetes or whatever, you, a lot of people will find out all about it. People will figure yeah. out a way that they can, you know, control it or manage it or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah. It's the same type of a thing um, yeah. with, with mental health issues. Yeah. Identifying your triggers is an important step in managing them. First, you have to identify them. Keep reading to learn about these. And Okay, here we go. Health issues. A health diagnosis that's upsetting or difficult, such as cancer or chronic illness. We don't even have to read that one. Isn't that going to cause some anxiety, folks? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't find you know, attempts to cure, alternative medicines, other kinds of issues, and, and uh, watch movies on, on cancer. Even if the woman died or the man died of cancer, uh, be involved in a cancer run. In other words, do not get traumatic and fall victim to triggers. It's, you know, you have cancer. You know what I mean? Uh, right. It'll bring the cancer. It'll strengthen the cancer, trust me. Medications. I, I went to I went to a support group called Choices, and it was because I was literally told I was dying of cancer. And I went to a group called Choices, and there were different people in the support group, and some people were um, fighting like me with you know chemotherapy and radiation radiation or whatever their their terminal illness was, and then there were other people that just were like, I'm not going through that. You know, I'm just going to live the rest of my life the best I can. And there were other people that were, like, doing trials and other people waiting on trials. So there's a whole gamut of people that that shared what their experience was, you know. And and I, fortunately, recovered. <laughs> you know, uh, a total yeah. miracle. I did. Yeah. I did. And, and there was, like you said, some people work on because they died. And some people, you know, got into the, the you know, the herbal medicine or, or this kind of treat, whatever. But that's the thing about NASCA is there's many roads to recovery for physical illnesses and mental health issues. And so, you know, I just want to throw that out there that, um, you know, no matter what you're doing, um, as long as you're doing the best that you can, and we do say that in our peer support group, you know, I am doing the best that I can. And, but that, what does that mean? What does, you know, does the best you can mean I'm just surviving or is the best you can mean I'm taking act, action? I'm not, you know, I'm taking action to make things better for myself and my life. So now, the second thing is medications. A lot of people are unaware. I have definitely been aware. <laughs> because the three things I'm going to name during the period of time you know, if if I did a uh, a criminal investigation as to why arguments occur between me and a loved one, a female, right, it would be during these periods of time, all right? 
uh, medications, certain prescriptions and over-the-counter medications may trigger symptoms of anxiety. Now, that's because active ingredients in these medications may make you feel uneasy or unwell. But see, you simply don't know that, all right? You don't pay attention to that. Here's an example. Birth control pills. Talk about serious arguments when a woman starts taking them that a guy could have with a woman that just appear out of nowhere because of her uneasiness and her anxieties while taking birth control pills. Cough and congestion medications. There's speed in that. You know what I mean? There's speed in that. Oh, damn, I can't think of that. That one med that now you have to get over the counter. It's for clearing the lungs and everything. And um, uh, actually, people who make crystal meth steal that in order to make yeah. crystal meth. That's some serious stuff. And you're wondering why you're acting weird, but you don't associate it to the cough and congestion medication that's causing mm-hmm. grave anxiety, hey. blah, blah, blah. Weight loss medications. Now, that's popular. All right? And, and we'll include alternative uh, pills that you take, you know, uh, herbal pills for weight loss. All these things can affect your biochemistry and create your vulnerability to anxieties. You know they included in the list here caffeine. Now, who doesn't know that, you know? But too much of anything isn't good for you. Skipping meals. When you don't eat, your blood sugar may drop. This is a normal human being, not somebody who has sugar diabetes. This is anybody. That can lead to jittery hands, rumbling tummy, uncomfortability, and it can also trigger anxiety. Now, when somebody feels anxiety. I feel like I'm a pass out and I forget to eat. I'll be going 2, 3 o'clock. I'll go, oh, geez, I haven't eaten anything. And I actually feel like I'm going to pass out. <laughs> yes. And, These you know, things. I know that because I haven't eaten. I would go two or three days without eating, and I don't even know how I did that. But I just, I don't think about eating. I have to set an alarm on my clock that says, um, at noon, eat and take meds. <laughs> yeah. These are things I'm listing that help somebody. Who, who is triggered by things, whether it be sexual abuse when they were little and they're triggered by seeing something or whatever. These are the things that you avoid that may avoid that trigger. All right? Negative yeah, thinking. Is eating. Yeah, negative thinking is number five. All right? If you have a habit of negative thinking, practically everything you look at or hear on the radio or whatever that goes on during the day because of your negativity, it's redefined in a negative way, and it ends up enforcing that feeling of anxiety and triggers all kinds of crap, you know? Financial concerns, we've all suffered that, and we know how sick it makes you. Worried, you know what I mean? Yeah, you have major Mm -hmm. debts, all right? And then we go. I have anxiety if I don't have money, and I have anxiety if I have too much money um, because I'm also a compulsive gambler, and I'm afraid I'm going to go gamble, both ends of the spectrum. But I have ways that I cope with it these days where I never even realized that that was an issue before, that I was getting so sick over it, Yeah, physically sick. A lot of people get totally sick. Well, there's a way to work with that. There's, you, there's ways that you can work with that. Uh, um, 
in a room full of strangers at a party or at a social event. It'll trigger feelings of anxiety. And, and it could be diagnosed, and this seems, this diagnosis seems to be on the rise, say, the last three or four years. Social anxiety disorder. Now, I've witnessed this firsthand where entire families really don't associate with the neighbors next door or anybody, family members even. And they have a hard time going to school, you know, because it's, it's like everybody gets that disease in the household. You know what I'm saying? It's not one kid is totally healthy and goes to school and is fine, all right? Uh, the, the parents' social anxiety uh, they say by proxy, that's called. Munchausen by proxy, you know. They can make the other person believe they're sick and become sick, you know. Yeah, conflict. Now, we all conflict, arguments, disagreements, right? This could make your triggers and your anxiety more evident. So you avoid those things. Relationship problems, arguments, disagreements. Work it all out in another way. You know what I mean? Stress. What causes stress? Daily stresses like traffic jams or missing your train can cause anyone anxiety. I mean, if you're stuck in traffic and you're annoyed and anxiety starts rising, bad memories and other things can be triggered. You're stuck there. You know what I mean? Um, it can happen anywhere. And they're saying sometimes some of these mass shootings or assaults or crazy crap going on, people jumping out windows, is all from a moment like that that suddenly occurred out of nowhere to them, yeah. you know? Public events or performances, talking in front of people, you know, anything that you feel anxiety about to such extreme, you shouldn't do that because that would just literally destroy you. If you had so much anxiety and you're ready to talk in front of people and you're standing there, can you imagine? You would be destroyed, you know? you never recover from that. So if you right. have triggers, you avoid that, public speaking. Yeah. And then right. what I found interesting is personal triggers. These triggers may be difficult to identify, but a mental health specialist is trained to help you identify them. These may begin with a smell, a place, or even a song. Personal triggers remind you, either consciously or unconsciously, of a bad memory or traumatic event in your life. Individuals right. with PTSD frequently experience anxiety triggers from environmental triggers, stuff we're talking about, like soldiers hearing firecrackers, you know what I mean? Thinks it's gone. Yeah. All right? Um, like that. That's environmental triggers. Okay? Um, so you try to identify your triggers by starting a journal or keeping notes, you know? Work with a therapist. You don't want this stuff affecting your life, preventing you from loving, preventing you from, from uh, um, uh, uh, developing a quality in life with your children, your family, your friends. It's worth it to go yeah, out of the be, way. It can be immobilizing. I've, I've been to that point yes. where, you know, I, I was so yes. afraid to get out of bed because I was so everything. 
like you said, everything, just, you know, a word, you know, somebody would say, I love you. And and that brought back stuff, you know, the the whole word love, man, I, you know, you owe somebody. I mean, you just don't know. And, and I was so afraid to, to go outside. I was so afraid to talk to anybody. I mean, if it hadn't been for me, you know, going to therapy and, and being hospitalized, and working through a lot of the stuff that was real hard. When I got away from my biological father, I couldn't put three words together. I couldn't look nobody in the eye. Had my head down all the time. And stayed in my house for three years. I couldn't leave. I was scared to death. But I did get up and go to my therapist because that was something that that um, I was told to do. And it helped. voices. <laughs> By you the know, voices in your like head. Like I said, I couldn't put three, three words together, and now you can't even get me to keep, keep quiet, as you could tell. <laughs> yeah. But that's important, is you write it down, you keep keep notes. You, you, you may identify something suddenly, but you have to be honest with yourself and with your therapist and not go on a tangent about something else or you like, think you're absolute professional and it, it stems your anxiety stems from this. Your anxiety might stem from a lot of different things. You're there to work with the therapist about your anxieties and what triggers them. Let him or her do the search. You know what I mean? Right. We can't self-diagnose. And I, You know when I learned that? My wife self-diagnosed the lump in her breast. Yeah. As a cyst. Yeah. She she died of cancer. Yeah. All right? She misdiagnosed uh-huh. herself. You got it? Wow. We all we all can do that and we may spend years thinking uh-huh. we have anxiety about sexual abuse when that was done and over a long time ago. It might be something else mm-hmm. involved in it, but not it itself. You right. need therapy. Like they say, yes. never, never Google your symptoms because you will come up with some really bad uh, um, things you're dying from immediately. <laughs> yes. There's potential. Go to a doctor. You know, the same way. Go to a psychiatrist. Yes. Right. Right. They're There's people here right. right in NASCA who can help talk about familiarity with, with various uh, uh, anxieties. You know, they share them with you. You know, they themselves have them. And there's, like I said, Right now, there's, I know somebody's child who has three therapists, all free. You know what I mean? So, I mean, therapists are a dime a dozen now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. most programs, most health care programs uh, um, have that covered in Medicare and Medicaid, all right? So, the most right. common symptoms of anxiety include uncontrollable worry, Fear, muscle tension. Muscle tension can actually cause you to have anxiety about Hank's voice. (laughs) A rapid heart rate. Difficulty sleeping or insomnia. As a result of that, it could trigger some anxieties that really don't exist or that exist for the moment. See, this is tricky Mm -hmm. stuff. Difficulty concentrating. Physical discomfort, all of this is anxiety. Not all together, it could be different things. 
tingling sensation in your body or parts of your body, restlessness, feeling on edge, and irritability. If you experience these symptoms regularly for six months or more, you may have what's called generalized anxiety disorder, GAD. Other types of anxiety disorders exist as well. The symptoms for those may be different from GAD. For example, with panic disorder, you may experience a rapid heart rate or palpitations, sweating, trembling, shaking, feeling as if your throat is closing. That's, I usually feel that way when I meet a beautiful woman. Feeling anxiety for no reason. Although you may sometimes feel anxiety for apparently no reason, there is usually an underlining cause. And the trigger may be beyond your awareness. That's how tricky this shit is. That's why people can't self-diagnose. If you constantly feel anxious about Hank showing up and having coffee with you, and you don't really know why, this is a symptom of generalized anxiety disorder. It's not Hank's fault. It's just something you're going through. In addition to the triggers listed above, the following are some of the possible reasons you may feel anxious for no reason at all. Anxiety disorders may be hereditary. How do you like that one? If someone in your family has anxiety disorder, you're at a greater risk of having one too. People with free-floating anxiety, meaning it could happen at any time and they always seem to be, oh, I got to leave, or whatever, right? Usually have denser neurons in some area of their brains and fewer in other areas, according to a 2021 brain imaging study. Check that out. Some medical conditions, such as arthritis, asthma, COPD, and diabetes may be associated with anxiety. They, all of them, cause anxiety. Not uncomfortability. It's not uncomfortability. We're talking about where you go through all these physical and mental and emotional anxiety is deep, right? So we just learned that it can happen because it's hereditary. Or it can happen because you have what's called uh, um, uh, neurons, denser neurons in some area of their brains. Now you go get an EEG, they look at your brain, you know, and it actually shows today. It's not the same when we were little, Victoria, where you couldn't yeah. get that or it was real expensive. Now they gave it up and there's no problem at all. And boom, hey, you feel anxiety, don't you? You know, they say it to you because they can see it on the brain scan. All right? Nice. So it may not be what you went through at all. It may be actually physical or hereditary. So this is a serious mm-hmm. medical and psychiatric thing. All right. So if you suffer any anxiety at all, let's 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 end it like this. Take notes. Don't try to self-diagnose. You're going to lose. You're going to pinpoint something and start emphasizing that something, and you're going 100 miles away from what's really causing the anxiety. Let professionals 
take care of it. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. we're, we're like cars where you got to go to the mechanic. You can't go get, keep getting used shit, you know? Right. And there you have my, yeah. my presentation. Uh-huh. There, there you go. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was, I was uh, talking to my uh, psychologist the other day, and I said, you know, after I get off a blog talk radio show, a lot of stuff will come up for me, you know, depending what the topic is or whatever. And, and she says, well, maybe you could start writing it down and then bring that in and we can, you know, discuss that. And so if people are listening to the show and things come up, um, like you were saying, um, write them down and bring them into yes. your therapist because, you know, we, we do talk about a lot of serious stuff here and things are going to come up for people. And it is helpful to write the stuff down and talk to somebody about it. And, yes. uh, and they can and listen not to the show again. Like push it to the back of your brain and go, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I got to go, you know, cook dinner or clean the house, whatever you do at this time of night. Or, you know, yeah. just take minutes to jot it down, even if it's just a couple words, you know, to start yeah. with. Um, because that way you get in the habit of, something comes up and you go, wait a minute, you know, just like I do with people, I help people that have drug and alcohol problems because I'm, you know, an alcoholic and drug addict. And then, you know, people will say I slipped, you know, which, which means I went back to drinking and it was like, just happened, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. You know, you made a decision to go to the liquor store. What'd you do before that decision? What'd you do before that? What'd you do before that? You know, and they can see, like play the tape backwards is what I tell them. Play the tape backwards and see the different things that happened before you ended up taking that drink. It didn't just happen. You didn't just flip like there was a banana peel. <laughs> you know? And and break things the, down. Yeah. What's mm-hmm. good about all the the uh the COVID. Some some good things are gonna come from the COVID situation. Example, there's now a trillion and one therapist. All right. Whereas therapy uh-huh. was selective. You had to be really psychiatrically nuts to go see a therapist yeah. or a rich person to go see a therapist, you know, because you're facing some charge in court, DWI or whatever. So you quickly right. <laughs> line up the defense, you know, but now yeah. therapists are just a phone call away, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and if anybody can go to this show. And, and just move the nozzle, listen to it or whatever, and get some of the information we were laying out today. So, Right. Right. And, again, we have you our uh, peer support group, and we are not professional at all. Yes. And, yes. you know, we will just, you know, talk, you know, you can ask, you know, if this is what I'm going through. Um, does anybody have uh, any experiences? Does anybody have any suggestions? Um, you know, that, that's why we have the show, or the peer support group. We have to, to educate people and to hear stories that hopefully you could feel like you're not alone. And also, yeah. to, like you gave tonight some information, because, you know, we can't really make changes without, without this kind of information. Um, for me, it was important to learn some of these terms, you know, to learn what boundaries were. <laughs> I don't know what the hell a boundary was. You know, and um, I described what I thought of it was, and and the therapist at the time says, no, that's a wall. (laughs) You know, so yeah, yeah, so just 
to find out, you know, and, and then, you know, just because you have these things, and, and this is the problem with having labels, is you get labeled with a diagnosis, and all of a sudden it's everything's, well, you know, um, yeah. I'm OCD, I'm OCD, I'm OCD, or I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm uh, bipolar. So then there yeah. is no moving forward beyond that. It's like, okay, identify what these symptoms are, bipolar disorder, and yeah. then realize you can make changes. And, and it, yeah, they are sometimes broken. very small changes. And sometimes you feel like you're backstepping. But you know what? As long as you, there is help out there. And I used to go to a therapist back, went way back, and they had a sliding scale, scale field, sliding scale fee for a support group for survivors of incest. And yeah. there are things out there. And like you said, because of COVID, this used yes. um, our peer support group used to be at the house, you know, and now it's on the internet. We got people from all over the world coming. You know, yeah. like talk radio show. That wasn't around, you know. Yeah. Um, no, people couldn't, you know, come on the show or listen to it um, archived or anything. So we have all these archived shows, and uh, we continue um, to let people know that, go you know, NASCA website, and uh, all the shows are on there. You know, you can listen to show after show after show, and, and you will – Eventually, as you listen to stories, hear your whole entire story. <laughs> Not yeah, maybe by uh, one person, but bits and pieces. Yeah, the, the point I'm making is, right, uh, if you feel triggered, and I hope that I triggered you, um, because I, I come from a different train of thought. I, that's exactly what you need. Um, mm-hmm. So that tells you, go get the help you need. There, there is help right. for everyone, especially if you're a woman, there's help out there. But you have to, because the system hasn't developed. I'm sorry if you think it's sexist. No. The system has not developed. No, it's not. All right? I no. can't walk in someplace right now, and I'm 66, and I, I, I work part-time, right? And uh, I'm right. not going to get all kinds of social service help or whatever else. i got to grab a couple kids on the way and make believe I'm um, transvestite, and these are my children. Now I'm going to get welfare checks, disability checks, weirdo checks, and other checks, all right? Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just my opinion uh, from what I witnessed. But what I said today and what I read today was to tell people, if you felt messed up yesterday, today you can go get healing, you can go get help, and tomorrow you won't feel that way anymore. Your life will begin right. to change. It's about healing and then taking leadership roles in groups like NASCA, all right, and start helping people. That's right. what we need to do. Become leaders to make oh, changes because changes aren't being made. No. All right? We need less not. victims, more leaders, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah. Yeah. I changed my name in 1986 when I started speaking to Victoria Ruth Kelly, which is Victoria Spirit Warrior, and I didn't feel like it then, but I feel like it now. <laughs> yeah. Good. And and you redirect yeah. your life. That's the thing. The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. You come back to somebody else. It's your prerogative. Uh, just don't yeah. all of a sudden say, 
you're a male or something. You know, try to keep it as human as possible. All right. Um, <laughs> but you can change your life. I'm trying to say, if you wanted to be an actor, you could be an actor at 99. Make the right phone right. calls. Go to the right interviews. You can be an extra. No matter what you want to be. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You can stop this. You can use your yeah. your panic and your fear and your anxiety to become a champion. Mm-hmm. You yeah. see? Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can do it, Daddy. And I look at her and tell her, you can. You take two steps yeah. just like you did when you learned to walk, and you did it. See, it's not to win the whole race. If you believe you can't, you can't. Yeah. yeah. If you believe you can't, it's, you can't. Yeah. It's straight up. That's mm-hmm. it. In a nutshell. Mm-hmm. All right? Okay, Don't we're gonna um, end the show now. I think we're getting close to the last few seconds, and uh, I just want to thank everybody for coming and thank uh, and Annie for uh, being there. And uh, would you like to say anything, Annie, You're before welcome. we head out? I'll just say thank you, everybody, for listening, and come back again tomorrow night, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's it. Peace, love, revolution. Yes. <laughs> there's always hope. Wherever there's breath, there's hope. Yep. We're not victims. We're survivors. We're and thrivers. I'll push the button to play the music, okay, Victoria? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good night, everyone. Okay. Good night. Night-night. Don't